Hey everyone, welcome to The Orchard Podcast with Amy Hughes and Rachel Hughes. We hope this episode encourages and inspires you today. Well, welcome to uh, The Orchard Podcast. You can probably tell from the sound, slightly echoey, that we're on tour (laughs) this week, this week, this month. Um, And we're at Wildfires Festival. Woohoo, little woohoo. Hopefully you can hear that. Uh, There there is a a company of exceptional women who have all arrived at the tent this morning at 7 a.m., which is the time of recording, um, to be part of this. So we're thrilled that they're all here to join us. And if you've been tracking with us through this series, you'll know that we've been looking at different women from the Old Testament. And essentially, we have a loose structure when we explore, we jump into the scriptures together. We, we ask three questions. What, do, what does the story of these women tell us about who God is? Tell us about who No, sorry, tell us about who they are, tell us about who God is, and then tell us about ourselves. What what do we learn for ourselves? Uh, And we're joined by special guest, Marg Bristow. Um, Yes, hopefully you can hear. And Marg is first and foremost a good friend of both Amy and I. We've got to know Marg over the last couple of years. Um, But more than that, actually, Marg is a psychotherapist. And actually, she's been my counsellor for uh, a couple of years and sort of moved into spiritual direction. And she is nothing short of a lifeline for me and a few others, it has to be said. And so um, we've journeyed. There's there's nothing really Marg doesn't know about me, which is always an interesting dynamic. Or you, actually. (laughs) Yes. She knows all of it. She knows the whole shebang. And she's still here, so but, that's but good. But most of all, God knows them very, very well. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That is true. Uh, and, and actually, Marg has the most amazing insights into the Father's heart and, and again, through the way God wants to communicate to us as women in his word. And so we're excited. We know... Marg is sitting on a little pot of gold when it comes to this scripture, and we just can't wait for you to hear that, especially with her perspective um, as a psychotherapist. So we are going to, Amy. We're going to dive in. We're diving in. Anyone got their Bible with them this morning? Oh, very, oh, look at this, getting out of your bags. Uh, if you're running, we say, or driving, you know, maybe put it on your, uh, on your device. But we are in Numbers, um, so we're going to be reading from Numbers 27. And, uh, and we're going to explore these amazing women, these daughters uh, that we're going to read about in a minute. Uh, but before we, get to, um, before we get to Numbers 27, the context here basically is they're about to enter the promised land, or they think they're about to enter the promised land, and they're beginning to divvy out land. <clears throat> and so they're trying to work out who's, who, who gains what land because of um, the, the, the sons inherit from the father's land, etc., etc. And, uh, and we get to this point where there are daughters that come forward um, that can't inherit land because they're daughters, because they're women. <clears throat> and so this is what we read, and this is what we find out. So follow me in, uh, from chapter 27. The daughters of Zelophehad, I did it. <laughs> son of Hepha, the son of Gilead, the son of Makkah, the son of Manasseh, belonged to the clans of Manasseh, son of Joseph. The names of the daughters were Mela, Noah, 
Hogla, my favorite, <laughs> Milka, and Tirsa. They came forward and stood before Moses. Elisa, the priest, the leaders, and the whole assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting and said, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among Korah's followers who banded together against the Lord, but he died for his own sin and left no sons. Why should our father's name disappear from his clan because he had no son? Give us property among our father's relatives. So Moses brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord said to him, what Zelophehad's se- se- <laughs> daughters, Zelophehad daughters, <laughs> are saying is right. You must certainly give them property as an inheritance among their father's relatives and give their father's inheritance to them. Say to the Israelites, if a man dies and leaves no son, give his inheritance to his daughters. If he has no daughter, give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, give his inheritance to his father's brothers. If his fathers have no brothers, give his inheritance to his nearest relative. Give inheritance to the nearest relatives in this clan, and he may possess it. This is to have the force of law for the Israelites, as the Lord commanded Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. <laughs> We're all good Anglicans up here. Easy for me to say. <laughs> um, but we're going to start then by asking the question, what do we learn about the daughters? But before we jump into that, am I any other cultural background, anything else, any context to this story that will help us, Marg, before we crack on? I think what would help us is to know that previously, you probably remember the spies going in to spy out the land. Okay, and as they went out to spy out the land, if you remember, there was only Joshua and Caleb who stayed in faith. Now, these women are of the caliber of Joshua and Caleb. But before Joshua and Caleb, we had Korah's rebellion, or perhaps even after, I can't remember which way it goes around. But you've got to remember that when that Korah's rebellion took place, many, many of the Israelites died and were told that they wouldn't go into the promised land. Now, what's important here is that these daughters' father had died, but he hadn't died because of the sin of Korah. And that was important because it meant that these women had an understanding of sin. They had an understanding of wrong. And that's really important. And the same that we've all sinned, but we all still have an inheritance with God because of his heart towards us through Jesus. Does that make sense? Very good. Yeah. So jumping in then. So what do we... um what do we learn first up about these women? Obviously, they were Israelites. Yeah. What else do you want to draw out that okay. we can learn from these? What do we know about them? What is amazing, and I will get emotional about this, what is amazing is that these are young women. Think about the culture of the times. They were culturally aware in the same way as God wants us to be culturally aware. But they were pre-20 because they weren't married. They had no father. 
And yet what they absolutely desired was that they would carry their father's name onto the land. And why is that important? It's because the promised land, Canaan, was where they knew, because they knew God, that that is where God would dwell and where his kingdom, in our language, would come. He would dwell, they would thrive. And so it was so important that they were carrying their father's name onto the land in the same way as we carry our father's name. But what's important to this, we have this passage here, but then read in Numbers 36 later, and then in Joshua 17 later, is that they then have to have a further discussion about who they can marry or not marry. And then in Joshua 17, it comes out that they then have to go back before all the elders of the community to say, actually, we're married now and we are claiming what was agreed with Moses. Now, what's important here about these women is that they didn't go in reactionary. They were pre-20. Imagine our teenage girls going to all the elders of the synod of the Church of England. Imagine that. And here they go, they're not reactionary, they know who they are, they know who God is, they know what Moses has been like, so they're observers, they're culturally aware, but they're not intimidated by the giants. They have faith to see not what's here, but what's ahead. And so they're looking ahead in faith because they long to be where God is dwelling. They're they're pre 20 it's amazing. And it's, it'd be easy to think that this was just about land, like economics, totally. wouldn't it? That, and there is an economical impl- implication Absolutely. for them. In they, they need... Because they, they'd be destitute. Yeah, they'd otherwise. be destitute, yes, basically. Totally. They'd, they'd have no other recourse yeah. to the provision of land and therefore somewhere where that they could Complete. call home um, outside of marriage, etc. But actually the land is... It's so much more than I just need a plot of space to build a house. Or an, it, it's a spiritual inheritance, isn't it's it? It's a dwelling place. It's a dwe- yeah, and God's spiritual presence. Exactly. And so yeah. even their sort of spiritual maturity at that point is pretty amazing to know that, to want to hunger for that is incredible. Yeah. And, and so if you think then back to uh, Joshua and Caleb going out to spy out the land, Everyone else said, no, 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 there's giants, but they saw the fruit. So here are these daughters seeing the fruit of the land of the dwelling place. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, maybe we'll talk about this later when we talk about how it applies to us, but the, how brave they are, obviously, like you're saying, and the risk they took to stand in front of all these giants, like you're saying, um, it, so, so think, God. Amy, who they were standing in front of, in front of Moses, Eleazar the priest, the heads of the tribe, and all yeah. the community. Yeah. And most importantly, they knew that where they were standing was the dwelling place. Yeah. This is in front of the tabernacle of where God had appeared in a cloud. Yeah. Yeah. So, Not at all intimidating. So it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, but it is that sense that one day, like you said, they must know, they, they knew God, didn't they? And so it's like one, they knew the character of God, they knew that this might be all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then secondly, they had nothing to lose. That's the thing. It's like, what a powerful combination in some ways. Anyway, we can talk about how we get to that. But, but that's important, isn't it? Yeah. Because actually when we are at our most broken, when we're in our darkest wilderness, actually we've lost everything more or less. 
And yeah. so we actually then desperately go to God. Yeah. And that's what they were doing. Yeah. What else? What else? Yeah. Do, the fact that they're five sisters, there's something about that they go together, yeah. which is powerful. What, what about that? Why is that important? Well, that is so important because where two or three are gathered together, there God is. But imagine, and you know for yourselves, I'm sure all of you in this room have got a narrative of pain, of difficulty, of feeling in the wilderness. At that point, what do you most need is someone with you and God, isn't it? And there's something about the community of believers. I can see lots of you nodding. There's something about strength. Even us three sat here, we need each other. Hear what's coming from us. We need each other. You spark each other. And these were five sisters. And what's amazing, ladies, is that actually three cities were named after five of these women. That is that. amazing in this cultural time. Wow. Well, the other thing to say, which, again, the fact that cities were named after them is legacy. Yeah. That they, when they make this bold approach, I mean, how intimidating, as you've painted that picture, that the courage and the conviction, so it's not just sort of like empty courage, like, yeah, we can do this, let's face up to Moses. They have such a strong conviction that drives their courage, don't they? But it's not just for them, because of course, land, territory, it, it wouldn't just be for them to enjoy in the their lifetime. The law was lifetime. changed. With the cha yeah. There was a change in law because of their decision. Exactly. This would benefit generations to come. It's children's children. children. And, and we were saying that perhaps, I wonder if some of what God is doing in these days in women is putting this spirit of legacy in us, which is so countercultural at this time. It goes against the culture which says, live for yourself, live for now. And we see this playing out, I won't get political, but we see this playing out on every level, economic, governmental, you know, this sort of short-termism, you know, make the best of things for now. We look at the, the environment, etc. cetera. Um, I won't go out too much further than that, but if we bring it back in, I wonder if what God is doing amongst women, I think he's setting this, this, this spirit of legacy that we wouldn't, make choices or wouldn't sort of um, give in to fear because of ourselves, but we would push through. And we, we'll talk more about this, like the barriers, not just for us, but because it has legacy implication for future generations. And I know for Amy and I, that's certainly something that's driven us through the orchard, isn't it? Let's, let's make a way so that future generations, it's different. It's so true. Sorry, Mark. I was just going to say that even... Looking at the women that we've looked at so far, um, you see that their little acts of obedience, you know, their moments of risk or their devotion or whatever it is, that moment is a catalyst that shifts history. And actually, I think that one of the, what you're saying, Rach, is like he's, he, he's raising up women right now in the seasons that you're in, whether hidden or powerless, because actually obedience could shift history and could provide legacy for generations to come. And so I think it's a moment to be like, okay, Lord, I'm going to step in in a whole new way, whatever the season, because you can catalyze something extraordinary in that space. But I think what is so important is that it's God-inspired. Yes, you see, the difference good. with these women was that they were humble. It came out of a godly, godly desire. It wasn't reactionary. They weren't self-pitying. But they were actually coming and saying, this is about justice. Yeah. Oh gosh, I'm feeling emotional now. This is about godly justice. This is about our deep, 
deep desire for godly inheritance. And that's our desire here for godly inheritance for you, for each other, for us, for the kingdom of God. And it's the motive that drove these young women. Keep in mind that they were young women. Their motive was deeply, deeply rooted in godly desire. So they weren't reactionary, but they came humbly and yet in truth and in deep strength. Yeah, this wasn't about their, their names, was it? This wasn't about self-promotion or... Um, putting themselves forward, it, again, their, their motivation was so humble. What, even, sorry, but even getting, like they didn't get, um, they're not stuck, like you talk about bitterness. It's so easy to see that they're, I have no power in this situation. And so actually I, I'm gonna just sort of collapse into the situation that I'm in. And I love that actually there was an agency there. They took, um, they stood up, it literally says they stood forward. Um, Which, as we learned from Hannah, yeah, we did. has significance. Which was a great preach, by the way, Rach. Well, also the podcast, <laughs> the Hannah podcast. But that, that phrase is this Hebrew idiom, which yeah. means, right, I'm going exactly. to do something yeah, about yeah. this. Step into. Yeah. Step into. So I'm going to move us on. Yeah. We've looked at what uh, we learned about the women. What do we learn about God through this, this little encounter, through this moment in the story? He's more than amazing. Yeah, that, that, that's a good start. That's a good start. I think this is amazing because these women knew that God was a God of justice. Yeah, so good. These women knew that he was there for the defenseless. These women knew that God saw women. Just let me say that again. These women knew that God saw women. He sees them. He sees you. He sees us. And that isn't to make it a thing of men, women, but there's been culturally, societally, a battle that's subtly gone on. But God sees all of us, male and female. He sees us and he hears us. And, he, and God here sees the injustice and waits and includes them in the changing of society. And I think, again, for us as women, we've got to listen to the voice of the Spirit when he lays on our hearts a burden for injustice. Yeah. And I think it's so easy to just ignore that, to squash it. But because God's heart is... For it. And we, we forget that, don't we? Because we live in a broken world and we're surrounded by injustice and it's so easy to fall into the trap of thinking, maybe God doesn't even care. Maybe I care more than God. But he does. He cares passionately about injustice. And we do live in a reality of a broken world and it's hard to understand at times. But I, I'm just, it just made me think, I know for me, part of my story has been God laying on my heart this, um, the burden around children that, uh, don't have the opportunity to be, to be raised in loving families. And for a long time, God laid on my heart just uh, the injustice of that, that actually every child should have the opportunity to be raised in a loving family. And, and that ultimately led on to Tim and I adopting a child. Um, but I guess my point is listen to that. Listen to that. God is speaking and, and we can't do everything. 
We can't fix everything, but God will put on your heart. And I wonder even if there's women in the room, women listening, and you know what it is. It's like he's burdened you for something. And maybe for some of us, God's saying, take the next step. Take the next step. Do something about this, which is what these women did. And, and God knows about the defenseless, you're saying about, you know, these, these women were essentially orphans. It, it, it implies that their mother wasn't around either. So they were orphans. And here we are talking about adoption. And so then we move into the adoption of believers. It's amazing that God has come through Jesus so that we might all be adopted, so that we are all heirs in the kingdom of God the name, you carry the name of Jesus. It's amazing. That's good. I just wonder if we um, pick up Moses. I know we're talking about the daughters, but I, I'm just struck by his reaction. And obviously we learn about God through his response. And his response is not just, you know, sort of reactionary, like you, like you were saying, with, even with the women, but you know, he, he's not like, no, that's not the custom. No, see you later. Or what on earth are you doing here? He's like, okay, I'll go and speak to God about it. I mean, that takes huge humility um, and godly character. Anyway, it's a, it's a lesson, I think, for all of our leadership to not just sort of decide on a whim. Um, but what do we learn about God even through Moses's, Moses's, <laughs> Moses' decision? If ever you want to emulate a leader, read about Moses. Go, go back through Numbers and read about Moses in Korah's rebellion. It is amazing. This man is such an intercessor. He is such a priest that stands between the people and God. In those different situations, he, he immediately falls down on his knees and prays. He, he prays, he knows God, he knows who he is before God, and he knows his call to stand before the people, not just to bring the law, but to intercede so that the people can find God. What an amazing, amazing man. And this man doesn't just think he knows it. We see in this passage that he immediately asks God for wisdom. He prays, he goes, he's an intercessor. Read earlier in Numbers the way he just falls down. To stop the plague after Korah's rebellion, he absolutely immediately gets the incense, he gets Aaron doing stuff. It's amazing the way he intercedes and protects and looks after the people. This man is such a godly, godly leader. May we all be the female equivalent of Moses. And I think it's important to say that under godly leadership, women thrive. And of course, this is a patriarchal society. I think it's worth pointing out whenever we look in the Old Testament as women, I know for me in my journey, feeling called to leadership, feeling called to speak and to teach, we know that there are passages in the New Testament that we have to grapple with as Lucy Peppiot famously said, go and do your homework. Um, if you haven't done your homework, go and do your homework. Grapple with those scriptures. But of course, the Old Testament, is, it, it, is, it is a patriarchal society. That's where God is moving. That doesn't mean that this is the model. The pa okay. patriarchal society is not God's blueprint. Yeah. The Garden of Eden is God's blueprint, where men and women walk in God's presence equally made in his image, equally called, 
equally equipped, equally yeah. sent. So uh, let's remember that that's the blueprint. The New Testament is, is not the blueprint. So that's important. And I think, therefore, Moses is operating within a patriarchal society. The role of women is different to men. Um, and again, just to be clear, men and women, I believe, are made unique, different. There's lots of crossover, but we are made unique, male, female. Again, back to the garden, back to the creation story. But the point here is under godly leadership, male or female, women thrive. Women are released. Women have space to live out their full potential. And even though the context feels very different for us in the 21st century, that's what Moses is doing. He doesn't dismiss them because they're women. Mm. He doesn't dismiss them because they're young. Mm. He doesn't dismiss them because in the ranking of you know, hierarchy of society, they're right at the bottom. He listens to them. And again, that's the trait of a good leader. They're not, they're not um, distracted or, uh, you know, bothered by where a person sits in the hierarchy. He listens and then he, he goes away and totally talks to Jesus, yeah. talks, talks to the talks, Lord, talks to God, yeah. talks to God and, and ultimately history has changed. Mm. So I think maybe the takeaway is, it's hard to say this, maybe that's too controversial, but all I'll say is... You usually are, Rach. I am, aren't I? In godly, under godly leadership, women thrive. I'll Absolutely. leave it there. And yeah. also that God is worth not going with what God's done before. That actually we need to go before God with every decision because actually it's a new day. And big and little. Yeah, big and little. Yeah. And that God isn't bound by man's ways <laughs> basically but, but equally we don't have to be if there's things that we see that are difficult and we're not sure that they're godly then we can really get together with other women and pray that's good that's the right, that's the right response. Yeah, well it? done, Mark. Yeah. Actually, maybe let's just go there for a second. What if we are confronted with something that feels unjust within perhaps a, a church context? Is there anything like these women, they do confront it. Um, they do speak up. And so, yes, there's the place of prayer, which is always the first place yeah. and the, continu the continuous place. But it, I guess, uh, how do you discern at which point to speak up, to speak out? I think, and I think we would all agree, the first place is, one, to really pray yourself. So if I observe something, really pray and fast. And then go to some trusted others, two or three trusted others, who you know to be wise and share your heart and make sure it's confidential in that initial being and then really pray don't rush it take time and really really pray and discern together these were five sisters they would have discerned together this wouldn't have been a just quick decision yeah. they would have been thinking about this pondering this yeah. gaining wisdom from each other they they got their inheritance behind them you look back and think well what's God, God done before what's Moses done before what have leaders done before how was this handled before look back at the roadmap, share and pray and then decide and listen to God so we're going to move on, going to move us on to the, the final question, if you like. And, and essentially it's this, what, what 
what can we learn for ourselves as followers of Jesus, women in the 21st century? How does a story like this apply to us? How does it encourage us in our walk with Jesus? Where do we, where do we begin? I mean, I think that we could begin, given also your expertise. Um, I think the, the thing that's so obvious to me is how fearless they are. I mean, they are breaking fear of man. Oh my goodness, to be able to walk, like we've said, the, the, the bravery and the risk that they took. How do you, how do you even begin? How do you get there? <laughs> yeah. Mark, counsel us all. How do, we, how do you begin to break out of fear of man, in a nutshell. <laughs> that God is the wonderful counsellor. Whoop! Yes. yes, definitely. The, the key is that we have to acknowledge our fears. I bet those five, imagine it. Come on, guys, imagine this, ladies. We're, all, we're sat there, we've, we're about to go and face Moses and Eleazar, the priest, and the tribe leaders, and all the community. I bet they sat down together and thought, right, you say this, you say this, you say this. They would have done, wouldn't they? Just like we did. I don't know that they'll put the makeup on, but you know. So, so here we go. How do they face their fear? One, they talk about it. They identify the fear. They're in the wilderness. Now remember, they're on the plains of Moab. That's the wilderness, okay? They are in a wilderness position. How many of you are in a wilderness position? The key is come out of isolation, talk to someone, and let's pray together and let's name the fears and bring them before God. They knew who God was and then bring, them, bring the fears to someone else. And that's how we start to disarm fear because we name it. Let's name it. We were talking earlier, weren't we? We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. And what do we have to go through? We don't go around it. We don't go behind it. We go through it. We have to go through our fears. And if you read that kid's book, this little person in the imagery of the picture at the end of the book is sat on the father's shoulders looking around at all the things that could make them fearful. And the thing is, name the fear, stand on the father's shoulders and let him take us through the fear. And weirdly, we both had that picture of that children's book going on a bear hunt. And I, I just, again, just want to name that. I wonder if for somebody in the room, somebody listening, that's a word from God, that, that there's something, a fear that you've got to face, that you've got to go through, or a tough season, and you've been trying to sort of find ways around it, over, under it, and the word for you is on your father's shoulders, you got to go through it. you got to go through it because there's, there is a kingdom assignment around it. As hard as it might be, you got to go through it. Yeah, so I'd love us to talk as well about what we've named together as sort of these internal and external barriers or glass ceilings. That's, you know, whatever you want to call them, that actually for these women, there were some, there were some like actual barriers like like societal etc um systems and structures external barriers that that they had to overcome to face the fear to to confront the giants but there would have been also some internal ones you know i think for me one of my big internal barriers has been shame this sort of um 
shame, Brenny Brown talks about the shame storm, that for me, stepping into God, what God's called me to do, it's meant confronting the internal barrier created by shame. And Mark's been very helpful with that. Um, uh, but how do we, first of all, how do we distinguish between the two? Because I think sometimes we project internal fear onto external ones. We say, like these daughters, we could have said, oh, it's impossible. There's no way we can stand up in front. We, we use almost the external barrier as an excuse when actually what's stopping us isn't outside of ourselves. It's the thing that's within us. I would say it's about the significant voices that go on in our head. You know, in uh, Genesis, right at the beginning, Adam and Eve, and the imposter voice comes, did God really say? And so that imposter voice, that significant other voice, actually causes us to doubt who we are and to doubt who God is. And so in this situation, they would have had to have confronted those internal significant voices. I'm too young. I'm too female. I'm not married. I'm not good enough. Women aren't seen. They had to overcome those internal voices, those, that internal mind battle. And Jesus identified with that. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he walked on this earth, if you really are the Son of Man, dot, dot, dot. That's the thing that comes to doubt. The battle will always, always be in your mind. And that's why we need to speak out. What is the internal voice, the significant voice from your early experiences, from your life experiences that bring shame, that bring doubt, that bring fear, that dethrone who God has called you to be as a, a woman of God? What is the internal voice that stops you walking in your destiny? I think it's in Psalm 33 where it says, God's plans and intentions for our lives will not be thwarted. But you see, we have to ask God, what is your plan and intention for my life? What is it you've called me to do that I need to step into to change history for my life? And it might be one other life or two other lives or six other lives. It doesn't have to be a whole community, but just one or two or three. And yes, the community for some, the internal voice. Just quickly, are you at the end? I, can you just give us like... Um, Give us a really practical, so we can walk away, you know, go to our tent even this morning. How do you practically even begin to rewire, to retrain your mind um, in a different thought pattern? Okay. Basically, think about Isaiah 26. It says, fix your mind on God, the eternal rock. Okay, and then the other one in Romans 8, it says, by letting the spirit control your mind, you know life and peace. What we're talking about is that transforming, that renewing of our mind. So identify the fear, name the fear, confess it, repent of where you've agreed with the lies of it, and then ask God for the great exchange of Isaiah 61, beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So God's here, I'm Mark. God, I give you my fear of man. I give you my fear of public speaking, okay? God, I give it to you. God, would you now give me your peace? Would you give me your equipping? 
God, I don't want to agree with the lie anymore. I repent of the lie. That means I turn around of the lie of agreeing with I can't do this. In Christ, I can do all things. And then step out and ask someone to pray with you. And we're going to do that in the room. And so if you're listening to the podcast, I just want to encourage you to go and do that right now, wherever you are right now, and uh, to, to pray as Marg has in, instructed us so beautifully. And so, Marg, I'm just going to ask you to pray for, for everyone listening right now, and then we're going to pray for these these amazing women in the room we are but what we're going to do is we're all going to stand up and if you're in your room at home I want you to stand up because it's a sign just like these women we're not going to sit under it we're going to stand up okay and I'm just going to lead us in what I would call corporate repentance and I'll give you a chance just to be quiet for a minute too so I'm going to pray a prayer and I don't want anyone to feel controlled in this time it's really important this is your choice I'm going to pray and just say to God, we're sorry where we've listened to the lies of the enemy, where we've agreed with them. I'm going to confess it. And then I'm going to just pray a prayer of repentance. And then I'm going to be quiet for a little while. And then let's see what God wants to do and where he leads us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Father Jesus, we welcome you you here. Abba, Father, come. We just want to acknowledge afresh that we are the daughters of the King of Kings. We just want to declare over ourselves and over each other the adoption that we can step into in our decision to follow Jesus. We want to thank you, God, that we are part of your family. Even now, we receive our adoption afresh, God, in you. Our daughterhood in you afresh right now. And Jesus, we just come. And we bring our hearts to you. You say to pour out our hearts and to trust you. And we pour out our hearts. And God, we confess the sin, God, that we have agreed with the lies of the enemy, that we are just women, that we are weak, that we have no voice. Who are you to go and do dot, dot, dot? Who are you to say dot, dot, dot? God, where we have agreed with anger and bitterness and hurt rather than humbly coming to you. God, we repent in the name of Jesus. Where we've agreed with self-rejection and self-pity, we repent in the name of Jesus. And just in this moment, Let's just be still and anything that just comes to your mind that you need to say, Jesus, I'm sorry for any agreement with the lies of the enemy. God, where we've agreed with negative significant voices of our head, over our heads and in our minds that we're no good, we're not good enough, we'll never amount to anything. We repent in the name of Jesus. And let's just quietly just take a minute to repent of those things that immediately come to mind.
And Jesus, we thank you that you say in your word that as we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, God, even now, as we put our hands on our chest, we receive your forgiveness. And God, we receive your healing. We receive your restoring. We receive your peace. And we just break off fear. We break fear off now in the name of Jesus. Every agreement with fear, we break it off in Jesus' name. And we declare the love of God over each one of us, God. As we make room to trust you more and more and receive you in our hearts, that we might know the depth, the breadth, the height and the width of your love again to do far, far more than we could ever ask or imagine in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And if you're in the room, just stay where you are because we'd love to pray more. If you're listening, um, thank you for listening and we hope it encourages you. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Follow us on socials at The Orchard Women to find out more about everything coming up.